Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and we're winding down the streak, which is going to end on April 2nd, 2017. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin. And just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. That's right, we are now at 1614. 1614, uh, a week from tomorrow, will be the final daily podcast. But we will continue doing podcasts as a weekly show and see what happens. We're going to see what happens with the change of format. We're going to see what happens. It's not a sad thing. It's an exciting thing. We're going to try some new stuff out. We've done one way for four and a half years. Uh, Let's try something else for a while. Mix up our pitches, as it were. Uh, On this Saturday, I'm going to be doing the latest installment of the teams that should have won. Now, for those of you who have been following this podcast, I know I have, you know that the teams that should have won is a series I'm doing that is a team that if they had won the World Series would have meant the most to that fan base. Even if a team went on and won a World Series before or after, very shortly, the cast of characters, the the context behind the victory, the players who were on it, the players who would have received rings, the backstory behind it, every once in a while a perfect storyline happens, but it's rare. And sometimes a perfect storyline just eludes them. And, you know, I mean, you could win a title shortly before or shortly after, and still there's that sense of, oh, man, if they had won it that year, it would have been perfect. Now, uh, I've received a little bit of criticism about this celebration of parallel universes uh, because the team, that I, the team that should have won for the Giants was 1993, and the team that should have won for the Braves was 1993. And... I received some criticism for that. So wait, how could they both have won? I said, well, do you know what? It happened to be the best circumstance for both teams. It was the best team for both of them to win happened to be the same damn year, which is one of the reasons why that race where the Braves won 104 and the Giants won 103 was so breathtaking because it would have been the perfect storyline for both franchises. So naturally, the Phillies won the pennant. Man, if only, you know, if only the divisions were aligned properly then. You know, if Atlanta was in the freaking east where they belonged, you would have had an NLCS between the San Francisco Giants won 103 games, the Atlanta Braves won 104 games. That would have been an epic or maybe a flop. Who knows? Every once in a while we think we're going to get an epic and we get a floparino. But I slightly digress. I slightly digress. So um, the the point I'm making is that, okay, these are parallel universes. This is not reality. Sometimes two teams could have had the ideal year on the same year. That sounds weird, but them's the cases. Does that make sense? Them's the cases? That's, sorry, that's just, it happens sometimes. We can't go too much into a rabbit hole 
when we're talking about wormholes. We can't go two bananas about parallel universes that they don't fit. Well, they're parallel. That means they're not going to run into each other. That's the beauty of something parallel. They're not going to collide. So there is a parallel universe where the Braves won the 1993 World Series and the Braves fans are happier than a pig in its own filth. And there's a parallel universe where the Giants won it that year. And if you can't deal with that, then perhaps you need to stay in a parallel universe where I haven't been doing a podcast every single day since the October of 2012. All right, so here's the team I'm going to cover. And there was a method to my madness, although it's inadvertently turning me into a, uh, a biased fan. Uh, when I started doing this, I said I was going to do the teams that I normally talk about the most right up front. So when I start piling these on in futures going forward, uh, you can't say like, oh, you only talk, you, you never talk about any other teams other than the Giants, the Red Sox, maybe the Yankees, maybe the A's. Well, I'm getting those out of the way early, and I got the Braves out of the way early too for some reason. I don't know why I picked them so early. But now I'm not doing the daily podcast, but I am going to continue doing this series. But I am going to be able to go through all the 31 teams because I'm including Montreal in the bunch. And it's fun. I've been getting requests from people for their individual teams that you root for. So you know on the podcast as we go down through the years, go down through this season, there will be a day I'm talking about the Diamondbacks, there will be a day I'm talking about the Reds, there will be a day I'm talking about the Brewers, there will be a day I'm talking about the Padres. May not be many, but I'll hit every single team in this series. But now let's do the A's. The A's, I've said this on the podcast before, and I mean it should have stayed in Philadelphia. They would be one of those grand traditional teams like the Cardinals, like the Tigers, like the Red Sox, like the Cubs, like the White Sox, like the Indians. That they have this tradition that you can stretch back to the days of Connie Mack, but instead that's kind of cut off, save for a strange blue circle here or there, which says like 1929, 1930 at the Oakland Coliseum. Instead, they become a vagabond franchise, which moved to Kansas City, threatened to move everywhere in creation, and still is in an uncertain stadium situation, covered in its own filth. The Phillies should have been the team that moved, and the A's should be still in Philadelphia, but that's not what happened, we got to deal with it. And what's happened is they've become one of my favorite teams. I love the A's when they wore their green uniforms, and they looked awesome. And I love the Moneyball A's. I find them to be fun as hell. And the current incarnation with Sean Doolittle and all of them, you know, when they went to the playoffs three straight years, you would have thought I grew up in Alameda County. That's how hard I was rooting for the Oakland A's during that. Now, I hated them during the La Russa years. Isn't that funny? Partly because they beat up the Red Sox a bunch of times. And I was I never liked Tony La Russa. Never did. Never, never did. So, anyway, um, the A's have had some success, but, man, they've had some heartbreaks. They won three straight World Series in the 70s. They won three straight pennants in the 1980s and 90s. They have had some crushing losses. Two of the most famous moments of defeat that have ever been shown in the history of baseball have been at the A's expense. The Jeter flip throwing out Jeremy Giambi 
and the Kirk Gibson home run and Dennis Eckersley looking at sailing over the wall. Those are in every single montage of great baseball moments and every single moment of a crushing defeat includes Gibson's homer, the Jeter flip. They're just there. And they both took place at the Oakland A's expense. Now, along the way, there have been years that would have been absolutely dynamite for the A's legacy. And there are a bunch of years to pick from. And I'm going to go through some of those years, but there's the one year that just stands out. First year I'm pointing out is 1975. The A's lost to the Red Sox in the ALCS, and the beginning of the year they had lost Catfish Hunter in a contract dispute where uh, uh, he was declared a free agent and went to the Yankees. The A's were the three-time defending world champion, so how frustrating could it be? Well, they could have won four. Winning four titles, a few teams have won three in a row. Winning four in a row, then you're getting into the Joe McCarthy Yankees, Casey Stengel Yankees territory. And to be put in that company for a team like the Oakland A's is extraordinary. And the fact that that team also had Billy Williams. Billy Williams was acquired from the Chicago Cubs, future Hall of Famer Billy Williams, never played in the postseason a single game with the Chicago Cubs all those years. He finally comes over to the Oakland A's where he gets to play in a postseason, and they would have had they would have etched their name alongside the great Yankee teams of Joe McCarthy and Casey Stengel, and Billy Williams would have a ring on his finger. Now, the question is, would the A's have been able to beat the Big Red Machine? Well, they weren't supposed to beat the Dodgers the year before, too. They weren't supposed to beat the Reds in 1972. There was a thing about that A's team that had a swagger. They could beat anybody. And if they kept that team intact, they probably would have won a few more championships going into the 70s. That's one team that came to mind. Another team that came to mind was 1981. And I tell you what, that's more of a legacy thing in 81. Because the A's hit rock bottom. They were terrible. They were drawing less than 900,000 a year and losing 100-some-odd games. They, were, they thought they were going to move to Denver. And then Billy Martin shows up in 1980, and the team which was a laughing stock, was turned around, and they played billy ball. They played hard. They had a, he wore his young pitching staff to the ground, but they had a talented pitching staff, and oh yeah, they had Ricky Henderson. The emergence of Ricky Henderson as a larger-than-life, my God, we've been blessed with this seminal talent arriving in Oakland under Billy Martin's watch if they had won the World Series in 1981, that would have been the ultimate triumph for Billy Martin. Freed from George Steinbrenner, back in his home in the East Bay of, of Bay Area where he was from, and showing, yeah, no, I don't need the turmoil of Steinbrenner. I can win. And he would have won. And if he had gone there and gotten his health back and stayed happy and won a championship, he would have had that legacy and who knows, we may still have Billy Martin right now. But they got swept by the Yankees. That was one I thought of. Another one I thought of was 1990. And let me tell you how critical 1990 was for the A's. They had 
lost the 88 World Series famously to the Dodgers. We remember the Kirk Gibson home run, but that was game one. Hershiser beat him twice, and oddly, the Tim Belcher versus Dave Stewart matchup in game four was a loss for the A's. You know, the the Dodgers won game one on the Gibson homer. Hershiser pitched the shutout in game two, but the A's won on a walk-off homer by Mark McGuire in game three. And with Stewart facing Belcher, there was a sense of, okay, they snuck those two wins, but the A's are back in control. Knowing that they were probably going to lose the Hershiser game in game five, but they would tie the series up in game four. Hershiser would put them up 3-2, but then they would just have to, you know, they would just have to win the games in Los Angeles, and that was more than capable of the A's. But they lost that game four. Then they won the World Series in 1989, but that was a muted celebration. It was muted because of the earthquake. There was an, I was here. I was in the Bay Area. I was in Palo Alto. And the place, up until that earthquake, before game three of the World Series, the entire Bay Area was going baseball bananas. And there was a sense, because the A's just clobbered the Giants in games one and two. They just were not even competitive. But there was a sense of, okay, it'll go back to San Francisco, and the pitching matchups may favor the Giants, and maybe if they can steal games, you know, steal the games against Bob Welch and Storm Davis, maybe they can turn this back into a World Series here. But then the earthquake hit, and there were people actually saying maybe they shouldn't even play the series. Just declare the A as the winner and move on. But no, they went on, they finished it, but Stewart went back to pitch game one. I remember there were some Giant fans saying, that's not fair, you can't do that. Yeah, they had a week off. They had 10 days off. Yeah, they're going to start their best pitcher. And so Stewart shut them down, and they were up 3 nothing. And at that point, even though the Giants were competitive in game four, it was, it was a foregone conclusion that the A's would win. But there was also, you know, yeah, the players were jumping up and down, but the celebration was muted. The post celebrate because there was we were reminded of our fragility and our mortality. So that team did indeed win, but the celebration was muted. And so 1990 became very important for the A's to win and actually freaking celebrate. They had Ricky Henderson the whole year. He was the M- he was the MVP. They still had Canseco. They still had McGuire. They added Harold Baines. They added Willie McGee. They still had Mike Moore. They still had Bob Welch. They still had the core of the team that was there. A few players had left. Phillips was gone. Uh, Storm Davis was gone. Dave Parker was gone. But it was essentially the same team. And they had to win back-to-back titles because this was a dynasty team that had to win multiple championships to basically um, earn their keep. But also was a chance to have a celebration for a championship that, you know, that to, that would be fun. That would be a release. And they made mincemeat of the AL West. They absolutely clobbered my beloved Red Sox. They faced off a Cincinnati Reds team that looked like, all right, they're just happy to be here. And before you knew it, the Reds swept the A's. And the A's never got back to the World Series. That A's run is a great, great run. 
but there was something incomplete about it. And the fact that they had a title, but even that doesn't feel right. Even that didn't feel right. And I know a bunch of A's fans will agree with me that they love that they won the title that year, but the celebration was muted. And they haven't won a pennant since getting swept by the Reds. So I was really tempted to say the 1990 A's. Now, the thing about every A's playoff team since then, and I really hope Sean Doolittle's not listening, almost every single A's playoff season ended on a deciding game that could have gone either way. Okay, I'm not counting 92 where Alomar hit the home run and everything. Since 2000, 2000, they lost game five to the Yankees in a series that could have gone either way. 2001, they blew a 2-0 lead. They had the winning run at the plate in game three. They had a lead in game five. They lost that. 2002, the winning run was at the plate for the deciding game, and they lost that. 2003, the winning run was at the plate when the, in the deciding game, and they lost that. 2006, they got swept, but they got swept on a walk-off homer by um, Ordonez. Then the more recent team, 2012, they lost a deciding game at home. 2013, they lost a deciding game at home. 2014, they lost that incredible wild card game on the road in extra innings, where they were two outs away from winning it all twice in the same game. And I could have picked any one of those years. And the year I'm picking is 2002. And the reason I'm picking 2002 is multifold. First of all, yeah, part of it is because of the Brad Pitt movie. It would have had a much better ending if they won the goddamn World Series. Sorry, Ray. If that was your ending, that the team that they put together went on to win the World Series, and they were the team that should have won the World Series. They shouldn't have lost to the Twins. They had a lead in game one, and the Twins looked lost, and the A's blew that game, and they had the winning run at the plate to finish game five. They were better than the Twins. They would have beaten the Angels. They probably would have beaten the Giants. Instead, it was a, you know, well, they lost the division series. They won, what, 103 games that year? But also the middle finger. I mean, we all there's a lot of Moneyball that's BS. The movie there's a lot of it that's that's really really they there's a lot of things that are kind of bending the truth a little bit in that film for dramatic purposes. I like the movie a lot. As a movie, I like Moneyball. I don't like it as a documentary because it's not one. But I get why people dig it, and I dig it. I think I think it's a fine film. But if they had won. That year specifically. Any of those years, it would have been a great for the A's. But that year specifically, that they lost Giambi, they lost Ezringhausen, they lost Johnny Damon, that they looked like it's not even fair. They got to the playoffs two straight years, and they picked them apart. And they won. Now, they won. Big reason they won is because of Miguel Tejada. Even bigger reason why they won is they had Mulder, Zito, and Hudson. That's not even mentioned in the movie that they had three of the best starting pitchers in baseball. But the fact of the matter, if they had won, with that as a consequence, with the circumstance around it and people 
would not be saying, well, how good is Billy Bean? Can't even get out of the first round. That you eliminate that from the lexicon and you take the 20-win streak. The fact that the team won 20 games in a row and became front-page news, the impact of that winning streak would have gone through the roof with an A's championship. And all the people who crapped all over Billy Bean, I probably was one of them back then. I've changed my views on a lot of things in baseball and baseball evaluation since then. The fact that it gave them ammunition against him that he lost you know, a series where if one swing of the bat, it went differently. Therefore, the whole system worked against them. You know, that, that if that team had won, it would have been such a middle finger. It would have made the 20-win season, a uh, 20-win streak, one of the great moments in baseball history instead of an interesting footnote that only the major fans remember. It would have made people look at, wow, is this really how we're going to put teams together? How should we really look at baseball now? And it would have made a great ending for it was already a pretty good movie. It would have been the greatest moment in Oakland A's history. And if they did it against the Giants, it would have been a tremendous middle finger that would have lasted until the 2010 season. A's fans, come at me if you don't believe me. You know, if they had won in 2003, they had won in 2006, they had won it in 2012, 13, 14, those would have been amazing. But coming off the heels of what they lost, it's like, no, no, we're even better now. What do you think of me now? It would have made people's heads spin. It would have made the 20-win streak something that is in the lexicon of great baseball moments. And you wouldn't have had Brad Pitt driving around the cranes listening to his daughter saying, I'm just a little guy stuck in the middle. Life is a lie and love is a riddle. Which, by the way, was a song that came out, what, seven years after 2002? It was a little anachronistic, I'm just saying. So A's fans, if you don't agree with me, let me know. But I think the team that should have won for the Oakland A's, 2002, Hollywood ending. So if you have a team that you want me to talk about, send me your suggestions via Twitter, at Sully Baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, so I have an iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kowalski. This has been... The Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for what the hell day is it? It's the 25th day of March 2017, marching to the end of the Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.